Our next reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through to chapter 3, verse 13. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Here ends the reading. G'day, Rick Hall here. It's great to be with you again this week. Whether you're watching at home on your own or with family or you're gathered with a few friends, I hope you've got your Bibles there ready. We're going to continue to look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians together, but please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you that you have spoken as we just heard your word read and we pray that you'll continue to speak to us and work in our hearts and mind by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was three years old, my parents lost me. Now, I'm not talking about you know, getting lost in the local supermarket or even getting lost like at the Easter show. They lost me in Hong Kong. We were on our way home in transit back to Australia and the story goes that we all got into an elevator or so my parents thought, but when they got out at the other end, they discovered they were one person short. 
I was nowhere to be found. Now, as you can imagine, that was a pretty stressful moment for my parents and it was instant action stations. Losing a kid in a foreign country is not something that you take lightly. And so one parent got left with the other kids and the luggage while the other rushed back to find me. Now, it all turned out fine in the end. They found me pretty quickly. But that's got to have been a pretty worrying moment, right? Parents losing a child is the kind of thing that stimulates instant action and, and real concern. You, you, you do whatever you need to to find your kid and you don't stop until you've found them because you want to make sure that they're okay. Now, the reason I tell that story is because in this passage in 1 Thessalonians, the, the Apostle Paul has a kind of similar experience, not with children, but with the baby Christians in Thessalonica. And as we hear about Paul's response to that situation, it shows us his heart. It shows us that that kind of instinct of, of a parent losing their child and searching for their child is what Paul has as he cares for the spiritual well-being of his fellow Christians. He wants to know they're okay. He wants to see them flourish and grow, and he will do whatever he can to help that. And what I think that does for us is that it leaves us with a question for ourselves and for our own hearts. And this is the question that we're looking at today. That is, am I committed to, am I concerned for the spiritual well-being of others so that it stirs me to action? What will motivate me to be committed in that way? And what will it look like if I am? That's what we're looking at today. Am I committed to the spiritual well-being of others? So our passage begins in verse 17 of chapter 2 with Paul remembering the pain of being separated from the Thessalonians. And he describes it like a child being separated from their parent. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 2. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Now, Paul had been in Thessalonica for probably about three weeks, and after that, he'd been chased out of town by an angry mob, and you can read about that in Acts 17. And here he describes that experience as being like a child ripped away from their parent, being orphaned. But as, as you hear him talk about his concern for them, it actually sounds more like he's the worried parent than the orphaned child. That's the concern that he has for these people. Just like you wouldn't leave a child alone, he doesn't want to leave them alone. And he wants them to know that even though they are separated physically, they are still very much on his heart and mind. Or as we've, become, as we've become accustomed to saying these days, they were physically separated, they were, they were socially distanced, but they were still very close to his heart. They were separated in person, but not in thought. And so he goes on, he did everything he could to get back to them. Verse 18, For we, want, for we wanted to come to you, Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. 
when Paul had been chased out of Thessalonica, the Christians from Thessalonica took him to the next town, to Berea. But the mob that had chased him in Thessalonica followed him all the way to Berea, and so the Christians there had to take him even further away to Athens. Paul's failure to get, failure to get back to Thessalonica was not for lack of trying. And in the end, he couldn't get back there. And so he did what he could instead. He sent Timothy. And I want you to have a look now at chapter 3, verse 1 and the verses following. And what I particularly want us to notice is what Paul hoped to achieve by sending Timothy back to Thessalonica. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1 with me. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And then further down in verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Did you see what Paul's concern was and what his aim was in sending Timothy? He was concerned that in their separation, the Thessalonians' faith could have been unsettled by the persecutions that they were facing and that they might have been tempted to turn away from Jesus. And so he says he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage their faith. That's the actions of someone who has the spiritual well-being of others on his heart. They might be separated in person, they were separated in person, but not in thought, not in heart. And so even while they were separated, Paul is doing what he can to care for their spiritual well-being. Now, it occurs to me that our current situation is actually somewhat similar to this situation that Paul was in. Like them, we are physically separated. But can we say, like Paul did, that we are separated in person but not in thought? Can we say that we have the same concern for the spiritual well-being of others that he did? That we do want to see our brothers and sisters strengthened and encouraged in faith? And that we are willing to do what we can to help with that, even while we can't meet. Can we say these things in our current situation? Now, we'll come back to that later, because first of all, I want to think about what will motivate us to be like that. Because it's all well and good, isn't it, to say, yes, we should be like that. That's what we should be like. But we also need to have the heart that will motivate us to want that, right? So what was it that motivated Paul? What motivated him to do whatever he could to strengthen and encourage the faith of others? Well, we see here that he was motivated by joy. That is, he has discovered the joy that can be found in the faith of others, 
Have a look at chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 with me now. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You know, as we read Paul's letters, we often see just how much the return of Jesus is right there in the forefront of Paul's mind and what a source of joy it is for him. And of course, that will be a day of great joy. But did you notice that Paul's joy as he anticipates that day, his joy is not just about himself. It's not just for himself. His joy is seeing the Thessalonians there with him. That on that day, these people will be standing there alongside him, sharing in the salvation that Jesus has won for them and praising God along with him. And on that day, he will know that he's played a part in that. And he will rejoice in that for all eternity. That's the reward that he's looking forward to. That's the crown of glory that he's looking forward to. You may know that in the ancient Olympics, the Olympians, instead of competing for a medal like we do these days, they used to compete for a crown of leaves, a, a laurel wreath. And it seems to me that the, I guess the temporary nature of that kind of reward is a good illustration of the temporary nature of that kind of glory. It fades, just as the leaves in that crown fade and die. Now, these days, we compete for trophies that are made of more lasting materials than leaves. But even so, the glory still fades. I don't know if you've got a a trophy cabinet or, or a trophy shelf in your house, but I've found that over the years, my trophies have moved from the shelf to a box in the garage to the bin. Maybe my trophies aren't quite as special as yours, but no matter how special I thought they were at the time, after a while, I've found, the shine kind of wears off, literally, but also in my mind. They they just don't seem quite that special anymore. Their glory has faded. But Paul is looking forward to a reward, to a crown of glory that will never fade. And that crown that he's looking forward to is the Thessalonians. He says, you are our crown of glory in the presence of Jesus on that day when he returns. You are our glory and our joy. Paul knows that seeing them there with him on that day is a joy that will last forever. And knowing that he has been a part of that, that is his reward. And now it's not like that takes away from the glory of God in that moment. In fact, just the opposite. Seeing them there with him will help him to rejoice in the goodness and the glory of God all the more. Thanking and praising God for their salvation along with his and for the privilege that he's had of being a part of that. That's what Paul is looking forward to. That's what's motivating him. And and that future, the joy of that future, 
is something that we can begin to have now. You know, people often ask the question, how can I have joy in the Christian life? And it seems to me that for Paul, at least part of the answer was, was this, that he had found joy investing in the spiritual life of others. And, and can I say, I can testify to the, to the truth of that, to the reality of that, and maybe you can too. The joy of, of seeing someone come to put their trust in Jesus and getting to be a part of that, of seeing people grow in faith and of, of maturing in godliness. That's just a glimpse now of the joy that we will have on that day when Jesus returns, on that day when we will see fully the work that God has done by his spirit in us, but also in these people that we have been helping to encourage and grow in their faith. And we can begin to have that joy now. And we hear a little bit more about that later on in chapter 3. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 8 with me. And I wonder if you could say what Paul does in these verses about just how much his joy was tied to their faith. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Now we really live, he says. That's how much his joy is found in their faith. And it motivated him to do whatever he could to strengthen and encourage that faith. So I thought I might just return now to think about our present situation of being physically separated from each other, like Paul was from the Thessalonians. Of course, we should always be motivated to care for the spiritual well-being of others. But how much more should our current situation really put that on the agenda for us? Now is the time where we particularly need to make every effort, like Paul did, to, to strengthen and encourage each other's faith. Let's not wait until we can finally meet again physically when the, when the restrictions are lifted before we discover how each other are going. I mean, wouldn't it be a tragedy to discover, to find out that some of us, whether adults or kids, have spent these months spiritually starving, being tempted by all kinds of pressures, maybe even beginning to drift away, not hearing God's word, not being encouraged by people around them. But no one knew because no one thought to ask. And what a tragedy that would be. And I think the challenges that we face at the moment by being physically distanced actually present an opportunity in this regard because it shows us that we can, just, we can no longer be complacent about this sort of thing. That just because maybe we, we would see each other at church each week, we could assume that people were going okay. We can't. And so this should stimulate us to action. Now, I've been speaking with the Bible study leaders and others about how we can do this better, but this is not just the job of a few people. 
we have among us a resource of dozens and dozens of people who can make phone calls and send emails and, and meet for coffee and, and connect online. So I guess my question for all of us is, who can you call this week? Who can you meet with for coffee this week? Who can you connect with online and see how they're going? Perhaps it's someone who's not been able to join us for church online or who just hasn't been for, for whatever reason. Who, who's missing? Who's missing from your Zoom Bible study meetings? Or who's missing from our virtual church morning tea? Or who have you just not heard from in a while? Let's learn from Paul's example and make every effort to connect with each other, even though, and perhaps even particularly because, we are physically separated, so that we can strengthen and encourage each other in our faith. Now, I'm going to wrap it up now, but as I finish, I just want to leave you with one final thing, and that is just to notice that Paul's efforts for the Thessalonians included earnest prayer. And you can see it there in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This earnest prayer reminds us that this is God's work, doesn't it? That whatever we do, it is God who is at work by his Spirit. And so we should pray. And prayer, the beauty of prayer, we don't need a good internet connection to do that, do we? We can do that when we are physically isolated or gathered with people. We can do it when we are sick or when we are well. And so if we are committed to the spiritual well-being of others, then of course we should pray. Pray that God will enable us to gather again physically to meet again. Pray that God will work powerfully in us and in each other. Pray that he will strengthen us and mature us in faith as we look forward to that day when Jesus returns. And we will, on that day, rejoice together in the salvation that he has won for us. I'm going to pray now. Please pray with me. I'm going to pray actually with the words from the last paragraph of chapter 3. Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus, please make the way for us to meet together again. Lord Jesus, may our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when Jesus returns with all his holy angels. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.